So it's really, what are their goals? I mean, inherently you can bring someone's goals down to three things. Are you trying to get stronger and fitter and faster for an event? Are you trying to improve aesthetics and body composition? Or are you just training for health parameters? And usually people fall into that. So when you look and see what their overarching and driving goal is, that's when you can have the conversation. Aloha and welcome to the Chris Lieto Podcast. I'm Chris Lieto, former professional athlete and multiple Ironman champion. And my passion is to bring you inspiration, motivation, and knowledge from amazing experts in their fields, from top professional athletes in all variety of sports, where we can glean some information to improve our lives and live our lives to the fullest. On this episode of the Chris Lieto Podcast, I got to sit down with Dr. Stacy Sims, who is a nutrition scientist, an exercise physiologist, was a professional athlete for a long period of time, so she has the real world experience. And I got to sit down with her years ago when I first got involved in the sport of triathlon and set the goal to want to be world champion. I sought out experts to give me that edge. And at the time she was working at the Stanford High Performance Institute. And I got to sit down with her and she helped me out with heat management, lowering my core temperature during performance, looking at nutrition and all things performance. And since then she has really become the expert in female performance, has really put that time in to learn everything about what the differences are between men and women and went all in and wrote an amazing book called Roar. And during our conversation, we got to really dig a little bit and get some information on what what those differences are, how you can make some subtle changes in your performance, in the way you approach your training, in your nutrition. And so I look forward to sharing this episode with you and hope you get a lot out of it. So enjoy this episode with Stacy Sims. All right, this podcast would not be possible without our presenting sponsor, uh, which is Adaday. Adaday is an amazing company which provides uh, recovery tools to help your body recover, to bounce back from workouts, to prep your muscles in your body pre-workout to make sure that you're activating and to make sure that your glutes are activated, your quads, your hamstrings, your calves, whatever you need to make sure that you're activated for the workout that's ahead of you. And this is done through, uh, as far as primarily, uh, their BioZoom gun, which is their massage gun. So you can check out their massage gun. You can also check out rollers, massage balls, uh, massage sticks, and things like that at adaday.com. So go check out their website. And also make sure that if you go on there and purchase something, use coupon code CHRIS20, which will give you obviously a 20% discount in your purchase. So go check them out and make sure that you bounce back from your workouts so you can hit it again the next day and help with any issues that you may be having, any tight muscles or anything like that. So check it out, adaday.com, coupon code CHRIS20. This episode is also presented by and supported by Gatorade Endurance. The Gatorade Endurance product is electrolyte drink as well as gels and additional products that you can find at their website, GatoradeEndurance.com, and you can check out all their formulas and the benefits of it. But the biggest thing is it's designed for endurance athletes or athletes that have prolonged exercise or exertion. And a lot of that is due to the electrolytes and the balance of carbs or the formula of the carbs for your body to absorb. 
The other big thing is that Gatorade is at majority of the triathlons, endurance races, marathons, and stuff like that in the United States, as well as overseas. So if you have a race that's coming up and we all are dying to get out and race again soon, so now is the time to practice with what you will find on course. So check out the Gatorade Endurance Formula and go to GatoradeEndurance.com to find their products and use coupon code CHRIS20 uh, to get a 20% discount. And the last thing I wanted to bring up before we go to our episode is people have been reaching out to me about, curious about the watch that I've been wearing in the YouTube videos of the podcast. And that watch is a watch made by Chorus, C-O-R-O-S. And it's the original edition of their watch called the Pace Watch, or the Pace. And it's been a great watch. I've had it for a couple years, it's worked really well. I like the band and the comfort of the band, how it works and the accuracy of the heart rate monitor that's in the watch. Uh, so you can get accurate heart rating um, on the wrist. But they recently came out with a new watch a little bit ago and I got my hands on it a week or so ago and I've been absolutely loving it. I'm wearing the uh, orange version or the fire version of it, which is the orange band and with a silver face. And I love this watch. I got additional accessories to it, like uh, new accessory bands. So I got a green band, like an army green band, and I got a black band. But I really like this watch because one, the battery life is so long. It's at full GPS mode, it lasts 60 hours. Normal GPS features uh, for running a race or ultras or, or going on a camping adventure full on the whole time is 150 hours. And just regular use as a watch and as your basic features, it lasts 45 days. So you never have to charge it or you rarely do. And when you do, it fully charges uh, in less than two hours. So it's really easy to keep this thing topped off and get a lot of use out of it. But Anyway, the app is amazing. The features tracking my sleep, uh, deep sleep versus um, not, um, managing resting heart rate, all these features that I use with my clients, my athletes and people that I consult is making sure that you're starting each day from a healthy state and from a recovered state to be able to get the most out of your workout. So this helps guide you through that. Yeah, so this watch is great and I'm really enjoying it. So I encourage you to check it out. And Chorus gave us a discount code to allow you to get a free accessory. So free additional watch band or any other accessories that they may have. You can use coupon code CHRISPOD, C-H-R-I-S-P-O-D. And when you check out and you will get uh, your accessories in your cart for free. So check it out, go to the website, chorus.com, C-O-R-O-S.com and enjoy hopefully your new watch. And now I want you guys to enjoy this next episode. Hope you get a lot out of it. And thanks again for listening. Um, so I've always had kind of two hats, so to speak. So one has been thermoregulation and the other has been, um, well, the other aspect of women are not small men. And I always looked at sex differences in the heat and hydration, but no one really took it up. So I kind of kept those separate hats. Um, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been an interesting, interesting ride since then, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been amazing to watch your career, you know, and, and know you then, which I always saw as just straight as far as performance science, like looking, how do you perform at your best males and females? I didn't see a detail into just women, but I saw you as an amazing knowledge and I want to 
thank you for that time and that, yeah. that help that you gave me early on in my career, which helped me perform. Um, then also, I just wanted to acknowledge you and just say what a great job you've been doing over the years, just watching you find, find your niche, but not only find your niche, but I, I feel like you're kind of the, the spearhead, the, the lead in a way of just saying, you know what, this is, this is a time for change and a time for uh, knowledge to get out there to help women to help performance in general, but really just to say women have a difference. And your book, Roar, um, I read I read a lot of it. I have not read as far as the whole thing, but I got a lot out of it. it really helped, helped me out as a coach. So first, I just want to say thank you for your knowledge and your time that you put into what you do and sharing it so freely. So thank you very much yeah. for that. No, you're welcome, because I've been trying to get people to listen for 20 years. So that kind of gives you an idea. Um, Has it yeah, been that long? If like, tell me a little bit about how you how you started in performance, and if it was just performance that you really had a passion for, and then what was that like, and what was that path, and at what point did it shift, and why? Um, it's it was always driven by performance, but like most athletes, we're inherently selfish. So um, I think it it really started when I was an undergrad, and I was uh, rowing for Purdue and you know you see the the lightweight men's team and then I'm on the lightweight women's team so the lightweights all train together and you know you expect the men to be faster but you don't necessarily see how different things are until you are doing the same training with the guys and so I started having these questions because at the same time I was in the undergraduate kinesiology program and reading the back and getting lectures on it and a lot of things didn't make sense so I started asking those questions why and even results in metabolism labs where I would be a participant and my results would be thrown out because they were anomaly one week but they weren't an anomaly the next week and I'm like what is this about and the concurrent answer I always got was well women aren't studied we don't know we just throw the results out or we combine them with the men's and we just attribute it to you know that time of the month but it's too hard to really quantify it so you know we don't really study women we don't know enough about women and none of them seem like appropriate answers especially if you're trying to perform at that top level where you're like wait a second if these results are anomaly and they're consistent anomaly why are they anomaly and if they so it's like you're looking at metabolism you're looking at fueling and one, one week it's an anomaly compared to the men, but then the next week your results are different, but they're very similar to the men, so then they're not an anomaly. You're like, well, why is it consistently like this? And then you start really digging and understanding, well, okay, well, I have a menstrual cycle, and there are certain times where I feel flat, and maybe it's not really because I'm not adapting to training, maybe it's something else. So that was the seed that had been planted. And then as I went through like my master's degree, I did overtraining and women across the menstrual cycle trying to understand if there are immune differences and mood differences between what was in the literature and there were, and then getting out and um, being an athlete and working with other athletes and understanding that this is not just me asking these questions. So I had the availability to be an academic in the lab as well as being an athlete on the circuit, listening to other women and seeing the differences. Um, so it's been a long haul, but I think it's really just the past four years that there's been uptake because the globalization of women's sport and the conversation is easier to be had. 
performance was always the drive, but just in the last four years is where you really put the emphasis in, in women. No, um, gosh, it started eight or more years ago when I first, um, got involved with creating drink mixes and had Osmo and was saying, Hey, you know, there are recovery differences there are hydration differences. So you pushed a women's line out, but the market wasn't ready for it. They're like, what do you mean? And there's so many people like, no, no, there's no differences, but pushing that message and then having the availability to write roar, um, and get involved in more research and pushing it out through the channels that I met through being in industry instead of just academia. Um, so when was that? How old is my kid? Seven. So yeah, eight or nine years ago um, is when it really kind of, I started really pushing and writing articles about it for popular media, um, implementing it into some of my training practices, working with my teammates. And then when I retired from professional sport, because I had to choose between being a mom and having a career and, and or being an athlete. And of course you can't really give up career and kid. Um, so yeah. So really trying to help those who stayed in the professional circuit, get their performance potential without getting into the ramifications of low energy availability or overtraining or poor recovery. Um, because a lot of the things that we think about with overtraining just can be maladaptation because they're following a program that isn't specific to women's physiology because there are inherent sex differences at birth from muscle enzyme activity. Like women um, have a greater uh, protein uptake in the muscles for beta oxidation. So they're already uh, able to have max fatty acid oxidation but they aren't so great at regenerating from the high intensity like men. So in a training camp situation, if you have mixed genders, you'll see men can do three or four really hard, intense days in a row before they're like, I tap out. I need a, I need a recovery. Women will do two. They'll try to hang on for the third day and then boom, they're off the back. They're like what's going on. And it's because of these sex differences with metabolism, with sex or with muscle enzyme activity. And, and would you see that as being universal? Like that was the common place that you would see. It just wouldn't be from one woman to another would have those different differences, but there was kind of like a standard difference that you would see that. Yeah. Standard difference. Yeah. And now it's like you're working with, um, well, you know, working with coaches and they're saying, saying, well, I see these anomalies in all my female athletes. It's like, it's not an anomaly. It's something that happens to women. So trying to get people to look outside of that box, look away from that male lens of, of the four week periodization scope. And you have micro cycles within a two week scope and, and really understanding that that comes from the male model of training and male physiology and male data. And we start putting the nuances of menstrual cycle and sex differences into how women adapt and what their nutritional needs are. You can create a micro cycle within, within a woman's training that really benefits their physiology for maximum adaptation without pushing them into low energy availability or without pushing them to an overreach state that's too hard to come back from. Yeah. I mean, I found is, is, you know, since I stopped racing, I've been doing some coaching and I don't coach a lot of people because I always believed very strongly that there wasn't a blanket training protocol for anybody, for male or female. Like you can't just go, okay, here's, here's how you do it. And everyone does it the same. And for me, I had to take the reins on my own as far as career, but I learned a lot of that. I had assistants, always had a coach that always watched what I was doing, would review what I was doing and I would dialogue with 
so I could get a knowledge of like what I was doing and how I was performing and how I'd adapt. And it was mm -hmm. always a point of communication was the most critical piece. If I didn't communicate exactly. to my coach, they wouldn't know, right? Yeah. And so I've enjoyed coaching, but I don't coach that many people because it takes so much time. I, I yeah. like it, but it's, it's a vested amount of time. Yeah. And before I read your book, I found out or I realized that I was really, I found that I would help women a lot perform better. And I think it wasn't because I knew that women were different, but it was just my approach in that hearing what the athlete needs and adjusting. I would never write a, a plan more than 10 days to two weeks max. And I would usually adjust it. And I would yeah. always get feedback. I always get knowledge like what's happening now. And sometimes it'd be two days of hard working out and then needing recovery and then build back into it. So, you know, I think that there's for sure a difference in male and female, but a difference just in everybody in general. And you have to give that attention. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so when you see these blanket, like download a 10 week to marathon training program, I, I just like shudder when I look at it. It's like, who wrote this and who was it for? And do you know the people that are downloading it? What's their life stress? What's their training history? What's their injury rate? Like any of that stuff is just not in these cookie cutter programs. Um, but it is a rarity for coaches to only take on at the max 10 athletes, right? Because it is so time in invested when you're looking at really dialing in and maximizing performance for everybody. Yeah. And that's where I only take on four to five athletes. <laughs> See, there <laughs> Just you go. I can't, I can't yeah. do that much because it, it consumes the mind. You start thinking yeah. about it throughout the day because you have to kind of understand all those nuances and all the little differences that that person, you have to get to know that person in their life. Because like you yeah. said, it's about their stresses. It's about their work, the relationships, the finances, whatever it may be can cause and affect your performance, especially if you're looking at elite performance. Yeah, and that's that's where I think there's a misstep, really. You have all the age group, and then you have the elite. And you'll see a lot of coaches that will try to coach both. And in the elite, they might get more attention, but it's still not optimal. And in the age group, there's not as much attention because there's so much cookie cutter. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it is, it's interesting to see how things are evolving. Um, but there's still a lot of the cookie cutter stuff that's existing. Yeah. So I would like to know a little bit like how you would approach. There's two aspects that I really want to talk about. One is the elite performance, right? And that's a very small, you know, group of people that are want that extra edge, that 1% that's really going to affect and improve them. But I'm sure that there's a lot of information that you have and knowledge that will improve that, that can also help the general right? So looking at how can we apply specific things that we can take away today from this talk to go, what can I do on my daily life that can improve my life, my fitness, my weight loss or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it all is based upon goal setting, right? And what your goals are. And that's the most important thing. But let's first talk a little bit about um, elite performance and training and the differences between men and women. You, you tapped a little bit about it where men may go three days really hard and perform, but women may only need two days, and then they need a recovery day. Mm -hmm. um, what else as far as this, the, the basic broad strokes of a month and the cycles and stuff like that can you share with us? Yeah, so when we look at women, um, premenopausal pre women, you have a menstrual cycle. And typically on a textbook, it's 28 days. But we know 
from a lot of data that's coming out that with elite female athletes, it'll um, become shorter or longer depending on what kind of stress they're doing. So I'll look at um, like menstrual cycle data of a whole bunch of athletes and I can pick out when they were traveling and when they weren't, when they were home training and not depending on how their menstrual cycle has changed. So understanding that that's somewhat normal and being able to adapt training to that, knowing that the low hormone phase is the one that shortens and lengthens in a healthy athlete, and then the high hormone phase stays the same. The issue with um, having really short menstrual cycles, though, is when we get into what we call luteal phase deficiency in women, where they don't ovulate. So they might have a small period bleed, but it's not um, a true bleed. And this is where we see a lot of elite female athletes saying, yeah, I have a period, I'm normal, or they're just on the cusp of having irregularity and then they lose their cycles. And we, we now say, you know, if you, if you are a female athlete who doesn't get a period, then you're not a healthy athlete. Um, and this is not with oral contraceptive pill or IUD or anything like that. That's a whole different ballgame. Mm -hmm. But when we're looking at like the month and a normal cycle in the low hormone phase, this is where women can hit it hard. So they can hit the high intensity, they have better recovery, they have more um, water in their blood, for, so they have more blood or blood volume, they have more fluid availability for respiration and for sweating. Um, they're not as catabolic. Um, so again, they recover faster. They can access carbohydrate easily so they can hit those high intensities. And their immune system is one that um, fights off a lot of virus and, and bacterial infections. So the issue of people going too hard and getting immunosuppressant aspects, especially in this COVID, aspect, COVID environment, doesn't hold so much in that low hormone phase. But then once you get around ovulation and then into the high hormone phase, this is where women are completely different from men. So when you have estrogen coming up, and then you have progesterone and estrogen coming up. These perturb every system in the body. And this is where the misstep often happens when you're looking at a male three-week-on, one-week-off type periodization program where the high hormone phase might fall in um, a microcycle where you need to build a high-end VO2 or that anaerobic capacity, but the body doesn't have the capability of doing it because it can't access carbohydrate very well because estrogen inhibits that. They don't recover very well because progesterone is very catabolic. Internal temperature is elevated because progesterone also increases core temperature. And then when you have estrogen across the blood-brain barrier, you have an interference with some of the neurotransmitters that allow you to push past fatigue. So being aware of that, you can put interventions into place to kind of mitigate it. But if you're not aware of it and you keep pushing on these training programs, this is where women start to get that dead-end fatigue and they just can't come back from it. Whereas if you take men and you're just doing a normal three-week on, one-week off, it doesn't matter where you hit the intensities. It's understanding that men can have the two to three days high intensity, then a day recovery, and then they can hit it hard again. And you can keep doing that. But with women, it becomes very phase specific. And I find even with men, sometimes they end up training too hard too often as well. So men, yeah. as far as can learn a lot from what you're saying as well, in that sometimes you just have to listen to your body. So you're saying like with women, you just have to get more knowledge of what you're, what you're feeling, right? Like, you know, your yeah. cycle or you can find out what your cycle is, right? And yeah. 
And if you, I mean, one of the biggest things to start with is tracking your cycle. There are so many women who couldn't really tell you what phase of the menstrual cycle they're in. They might remember when they had their period last, but other than that, they're, they're not that in tune to it. So one of the first steps I have women do is track their training, their mood, um, and RP over their menstrual cycle, and you'll start to see this patterning. And when you understand the patterning, like some women will feel really fantastic right around ovulation, and some women have a delay of 36 or, or so hours of feeling really flat, and then they can hit it hard. So when you understand that patterning and that objective um, aspect around the menstrual cycle, then you can really dial in the training to maximize when their body feels super strong. You can recover really well versus those where you need to work more on technique and deloading. And do you find that that is predictable once you know what your, what your, where your times are and where you lie within each week or training, will it like be exactly the same month after month or that same cycle if it's 21 days, every, every 21 days, will you be able to adjust your training to do that? Or do you need to monitor it as well daily or weekly to see if there's any changes and is there anything that you can do to help with that? Um, well, you always keep tracking your menstrual cycle um, because one of the first things that goes when you're in a low energy state is your regular menstrual cycle. So I'll backtrack because low energy availability happens in both men and women and used to be called the female athlete triad. But we know that that's just one small little area of it. When we look at low energy state, um, you don't have enough food coming in to support general health and training and training adaptations. So this is where a lot of the, like in triathlon, where there's a lot of the um, power to weight ratio and body composition issues, men fall into this too. We know that with men, you end up with poor bone health, reduced testosterone, dead end fatigue, and increased um, body fat. And, you know, no man is going to go up and be like, hey, I've got low testosterone, right? So the signs and symptoms for understanding what low energy is in men aren't as apparent as they are in women. But for women, low energy, after four days of low energy availability, thyroid starts to become a little bit dysfunctional. So you'll start to feel a little bit more sluggish, fatigued, uh, be a little bit more intolerant to cold and in cold stress. And then after a few weeks of that, your whole endocrine system is out of whack. Because if you're not eating enough, you'll perturb this neuropeptide called kispeptin. And kispeptin is in both men and women, but there's more sensitivity around kispeptin and kispeptin uh, neurons in women. And when there's not enough food coming in, kispeptin is downregulated, which stops the, the stimulation of gonadotropin-releasing hormone, which is responsible for luteinizing hormone, follicular stimulating hormone, which again is responsible for ovulation and your menstrual cycle. So after a couple of weeks, you start to get this perturbance. And so the first identification factor of something being wrong is this irregularity of your menstrual cycle. So if you're tracking and you start to see these irregularities, then you can have a, an ability to stop reassess before you get too far down the rabbit hole. Um, and then when, this is why I also say I don't really like women being on an oral contraceptive pill if they're trying to train hard, especially at that elite level. Why do we know that an OC um, leaves a lot of performance potential on the table because of the effect of those exogenous hormones? Like they exert 500 times the bioavailability of estrogen as in your natural hormone. So you're going to have this huge massive effect. 
So you have a decrease in VO2 peak, you can't hit intensities, you don't respond very well to high intensity interval training. So all that top end stuff that female athletes are trying to find, if you're on an OC, you're pretty much just leaving it on the table. But the other thing about an OC is that sugar pill weakened withdrawal bleed is not an indication of endocrine health. So you don't have the opportunity to be able to stop and say, hey, wait a second, things are becoming irregular. And let me look back to my training and see where I last felt really fantastic and where it started to go a little bit awry. So when you can track menstrual cycle with mood and training, you can keep really good tests on what's going on without having to get blood tests, without really questioning, like a lot of women in their heads have the chatter of, I didn't do so well today. Did I get enough sleep? Did, am I overly stressed? What happened? Because when you look and see that things are changing, you have the ability to talk with your coach and say, hey, wait, maybe it's not just the training. Maybe I'm not fueling appropriately. So you start to have that dialogue. Again, you can pull women back before the performance really goes over the edge. Yeah. And would you advise using like sleep devices like the aura ring or the bands or things like that, that will help you monitor your HRV, your resting heart rate, your sleep patterns? Do you use those things to help in that management on a daily basis to kind of preempt looking back and kind of looking at today I woke up and I already know because of my results, my mood may not be good or I'm already at a low energy. Do you find that that's the same or is that totally different category? It's different. And HRV, um, changes across the menstrual cycle. Like I, I have a whoop on at the moment because I'm testing yeah. it cool. so I can give some feedback. Yeah. Um, but like this morning, uh, it said I was like ready to perform where I had an absolute shit sleep last night and I was really highly stressed, but all the metrics, like you see the little red lines, like I woke up every half an hour or so for just a few seconds. So it wasn't a continuous sleep. And I had late night meetings last night, early morning meetings this morning. But yet the overall amount of sleep I got was enough for them to be like, yeah, you're ready to perform. It's like, no, I'm not. So when you're looking at just that data and they're looking at heart rate variability and I know where I am in my cycle where heart rate variability is going to be good. And so I look at it and be like, wait, this algorithm isn't quite right. So again, it's a good way to keep track, but not just a one-off. Like if it's a whole week of stuff and you're seeing how that is over menstrual cycle and knowing how things change, it's a good tool, like any tool. Um, so you've yeah. had years and years of practice of, of listening to your body, right? And knowing like what it feels like and knowing those stresses and being aware of it. But for most women and most men, this, as far as discussion we're having, is brand new. And so the fact of trying to listen to your body in the morning or the day or taking the time to log, when is my cycle? When is, mm -hmm. you know, when am I feeling my moods? Most people will go through the day and have a horrible mood all day and feel irritable and feel stressed, but will go to bed not even thinking about it and wake up the next day and go, why do I feel this way? Yeah. So yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's like a daily practice that you have to remind yourself, like, what am I going to do today? And taking that time to make those notations or, or practice those skills of listening to yourself. Yeah. And, and there are apps out there. Like you have the fitter woman app, which is a little bit 2d. You can keep track of where you are in your cycle, but it doesn't feed back the information to you per se. It just tells you, Oh, your period's going to start in two days. But there's a couple of others that are using artificial intelligence, like wild AI, where every time you put in a data point, it learns about you. So it can tell you a couple of cycles down, 
saying, hey, well, every day 23 in your cycle, this is how you feel. So maybe you should consider reducing the training load or eating a little bit more. So it's learning you and your patterning. So the first bit of time investment in a lot of the tracking, yeah, it's going to be a little bit labor intensive for most people who are like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, but the more you use artificial intelligence to learn you, the less you actually have to invest in it. So now you talked about if you have low energy to look at the assessment of where that's coming from, right? So mm-hmm. if if a general person who's new at this is waking up and feeling slow, lethargic, or whatever, they, their energy is low, what is the first first three things that they should look at? And you mentioned them before, but what would be those task items? Would it be looking at how many calories did I eat in the last day or how much sleep did I have? What What are the first things that you should ask yourself? When you're feeling so the it. best, the best thing is really to fuel for each session. And I know this is going against a lot of the endurance athletic stuff about doing fasted training and the low carb, high fat stuff. But we know from research, one that women shouldn't do fasted training. It's okay for a couple of sessions every 10 days for men. Um, but when you're looking at the aspect of women doing fasted training, it's a non-starter because of the kisspeptin and all the other things I've talked about. Now, when we're looking at how do we go about understanding low energy availability and what's the first thing I should do, fuel for each session. So it's not eating the same amount for each session, but knowing that if you're waking up at 5.30 in the morning to hit the pool deck at 6 o'clock in the morning, no one wants to eat something in that half an hour. But if you're doing maybe 100 and 150 calories of of fluid, so you might have a protein powder and almond milk, or you might have um, watered down apple juice, just something to bring blood sugar up and drop cortisol, you're going to get more out of that session than if you didn't. And you're already going to reduce the catabolic hormones that cause so much of the perturbance. So the other aspect of when you go to the pool and you're swimming for 90 minutes, have something to hydrate. And maybe for the back end of that session, you're having um, some glucose tablets or something that's going to bring your blood sugar up. So you're not tapping in so much into that cortisol for the breakdown aspect. So you're just reducing overall stress. So the stress that you do put on your body is all about training stress. It's not about the metabolic extraneous fuels, not lack of fuel stress that gets so many people into problems. Um, Because the longer you stay in that catabolic state after training, because a lot of people will delay food, the longer you stay in that catabolic state, the more your body says, hey, wait a second, I have to conserve. So even if you book in calories on either end of the day and you get enough, it's not the same as if you're fueling for every session because you have a big gap with that catabolic state that puts your body in that same quagmire of low energy availability. So now going to the general person or female that just wants to get fit or just to train, a lot of times they'll look at that, and men too will look at fueling as kind of like not very important, right? They're like, okay, I have an hour to work out and I have an hour to train. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to do it. You hear about the, you know, the fasting or whatever, but they don't see it as being critical, right? And, and elite performance, 100%. Like you have to fuel for every workout. You have to be on yeah. top of it. You have to be diligent as soon as you're done training, get your fuel in, all that stuff. But, and I want to go back a little bit more in to that elite fueling, but for the general person, mm-hmm. 
how do you like how do you um how do how do you get across the importance of fueling even if you're not an elite athlete if you're just training for an hour hour and a half a day and you're like yeah whatever um so it's really what are their goals i mean inherently you can bring someone's goals down to three things are you trying to get stronger and fitter um and faster for an event are you trying to uh, improve aesthetics and body composition or are you just training for health parameters and usually people fall into that so when you look and see what their overarching and driving goal is that's when you can have the conversation so for a lot of women who are just training an hour or they might just be doing crossfit or they might be doing a spin class it's a couple of things one they want to look better and lose body fat and two it's a stress release so if you aren't fueling for those, you're increasing stress. You're also increasing the stimulus to put on body fat. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you say that, they're like, whoa, okay, I'm going to fuel a little bit. Maybe I'll just have a banana. But even splitting breakfast where you're having like a protein-oriented coffee before you go to your spin class or your CrossFit, and then you have your breakfast within a half an hour after finishing, that's fueling. It doesn't have to be something specific of a protein shake and extra food here and there, especially if it's only an hour, hour and a half. But not having fuel on board mitigates a lot of the things that people are trying to do. Yeah, I find that the majority of the questions that I get, especially from females, but as well as males too, they're usually in their 30s and sometimes even earlier, like in their teens, like 16 to 18, where their body's adjusting and changing and they may have this extra weight and they're looking at, okay, how do I lose it? And I'm training, but why am I not losing it? And the first question I always ask is, what, one, what types of food are you eating? And then how often are you eating, right? Because yeah. I learned it from an experience that I had as a professional athlete that I finally had someone that told me, I want you to take a, a, a dietary plan and, and write down everything that you eat for the next three days. And I did that. And then I brought it back to him and he said, you're short almost a thousand calories a day. I was yeah. like, but I was burning five or 6,000 calories a day because I was working out an immense amount of time. And he said, okay, for the next three days or the next week, I want you to make sure that you count your calories and make sure that you eat all the calories that you're burning to make sure that you're matching those. Mm-hmm. And I remember every night I would sit down and write it all down because they didn't have apps then. And I would write mm-hmm. it all down and I would look at it at nine o'clock at night and I would be short 500 and something calories. I'd be like, what am I going to eat at nine o'clock at night that's going to give me that many calories? And the first thing that goes in my, hand, my mind is ice cream. Oh yeah. So I would go straight to the ice cream, get a good bowl of ice cream. It was a pleasure. And that week I ended up losing like four to five pounds. Yes. And I wasn't eating the the best food, but I was eating the right amount of calories. And, and that for me was an eye opening of the value and importance of making sure that you're eating the calories that you're burning. Like everything you're preaching is fuel yourself for what you're doing. Exactly. And a lot of people are still in the mindset of calories in calories out. And when you're looking at athletics and being performance oriented, you need calories for fuel. And so the more you eat, the more you're going to lose some weight. And like I'll have female athletes that are coming to me and we'll do a dietary assessment and a resting metabolic rate. And they need to have an additional five or 600 calories. And it's really hard to tell someone they need to do that from a female scope. So instead of saying, hey, you need to eat an extra 600 calories a day. You just look at their fueling around training. So you make sure they're fueling well and then put in an extra snack in the afternoon. 
So it doesn't seem like an overwhelming amount of calories to add back in, but then body fat starts to come off and they start seeing they can hit higher intensities and better workloads and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause when you're yeah. in that stress, when you're in that stress load, you, your metabolism is in kind of a survival mode, correct? Where it will hold exactly. on to those things and hold on to that fat and you're not optimizing your performance at the same time. Yeah. And um, systemic inflammation as well. So a lot of people will be like, I don't understand. I gained four pounds in a week. And I was like, well, you're not eating well and you're holding on to extra inflammation in water. So when you start eating better and fueling for things and really adapting and, and reducing that inflammation, then the weight on the scale also comes down. Mm -hmm. And then you maintain the muscle. You know, you may not see weight right away, but you'll see maybe right. fat loss and maintain a lot more of that lean muscle that you want to maintain for strength and speed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. no, really good stuff. On the on the elite side again, if you're fueling correctly prior to there's mm -hmm. also, I've read a lot in your book that you talk about what to do post-workout and how men and women are drastically different. When, you, when I heard what you were saying about that, it blew me away. So I want you to share a little bit about how men and women are different post-workout and what is super important for women to do. Yeah, so women and men differ in the types of fuel that they use during exercise, and that's relatively unknown. Um, so, you know, women are, they use more fat, but also amino acid profiles are different. So when it comes to recovery post-exercise, men have a longer window to replenish and refuel and bring their um, metabolism back down to, to baseline. So for men, it's between three and 18 hours, depending on what they did and what they ate to keep that window open. But for women, we have 90 minutes. And in that 90 minutes, we have to get protein in to repair the muscle and then also be aware of carbohydrate intake to refill and refuel the glycogen stores. Um, and when you start looking at protein content as well, I mean, everyone's heard the chocolate milk campaign, 20 grams of protein post-exercise or the uh, four to one ratio of carbohydrate to protein, all male data. So when we look at female data, women need more protein post-exercise. And with age, um, your protein needs increase. So the misstep really of the conversation about protein post-exercise is that when you get a certain amount of leucine and it goes into the muscle as a man um, and activates mTOR, you start getting the muscle protein synthesis. But for women, it starts in the brain where you have to have enough leucine hitting the brain to have a feedback mechanism to go forward to the muscle to stimulate that mTOR. So for women post-exercise, it's at 30 grams of protein. And then that opens up the window for carbohydrate up to about two hours. And for men, it's the 20 grams. But when we get to the peri and postmenopausal women, it becomes 40 grams because they, with the drop-off of estrogen, there's no real stimulus for muscle protein synthesis except for exercise stress and protein dosing. So it becomes really important for um, older women to get that 40 grams post-exercise. Yeah. That's so, a lot. Yeah. And how, can you, how do you suggest them get that in? Because they're not going to eat a burger and eat a lot, of, a lot of protein after. What would you recommend as far as fueling? You said leucine and just amino acids, like a good complex of amino acids, BCAAs or essential amino acids. Um, primarily from real food. I mean, one of the best recovery foods out there, if you are not vegan, is uh, non-fat Greek yogurt. And I say non-fat so it exits the stomach quickly and gets into circulation. 
because you're getting the combination of whey and casein. It's a, it's a fantastic around 25 gram hit in a single serving. You're also getting sodium and magnesium, potassium, some of the other electrolytes that get lost during exercise. And if you throw in some almonds or some other nuts, you're going to boost it up to that 30 gram mark. And um, then you have the subset of, of a lot of athletes now who are plant-based or vegan. So they're turning to vegan protein powders, which doesn't have enough leucine in it. So when you're looking at a, a, um, a vegan-based or a plant-based protein powder, you want to look and see, does it have around three grams of leucine per serving? And most of them fall short. So that's where you can look to add some branched-chain amino acids, but better yet, eat some real food. Um, so you're looking at uh, the combination of, if you have a peanut butter or nut butter sandwich on seed bread, and add in some flax, some extra flax seeds and um, maybe hummus carrots, you're going to hit that 30 grams. It doesn't take that much. You just have to be aware of what you're eating. So the past couple of weeks, I've been like slammed with meetings and homeschooling and stuff. So I'll forget to eat. Like I, I'm one of those people under stress where I don't get a big appetite. And I've gone out for a couple of hard, um, like I'll do some heavy lifting and go out for a tempo ride. I'll come back and I'll forget to eat. And the next day I'm like, what the hell? Why can't? And I'm like, oh, I forgot to eat. Yeah. So I've missed that window and I've just had dead legs. And so this week I've made it a priority to like try to recover well. Um, And it's working. It's just when you forget or you miss that window, it takes its toll. Yeah, totally. And I want to shift gears a little bit because um, I know we don't have a ton of time and, uh, you know, I know you have the kids and everything. So I want to make sure that I get you back to that. But uh, I want to shift gears a little bit to where you talked in your book about how uh, a lot of women in, in elite sports have said that their performance has been affected because of their period or because of PMS or whatever. And you specifically talked about a remedy or a way to help address that beforehand, knowing that it may land on a race day or on a performance day or whatever. How would you, if you can share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So in training, it's all good. Like you can maximize training around your menstrual cycle, but racing is completely different story, right? You can't be like, Hey, Kona, I can't race on you that day. Could you please move it? Like that's just not going to happen. Um, so the first step is being aware. So when you're aware of if you're affected by PMS, then you can put in the specific nutrition interventions, kind of level the playing field. So five to seven days before the period starts, this is when estrogen and progesterone are at their peak. And then, um, they start to taper down, but this is where you feel the most effects. So like I said, when estrogen crosses the blood brain barrier, the symptom symptomology of it is brain fatigue and the lack of mojo. But if you're boosting your leucine content in particular, leucine crosses a blood-brain barrier and affects the serotonin um, receptors the way estrogen does. So now you don't have estrogen that's hypersensitizing the serotonin. You now have leucine that's taking its effect and you don't get that brain fog. The other thing about having more circulating amino acids is it, it counters the progesterone catabolic aspect. But the biggest thing is inflammation. So when I talk about the um, PMS stack in the book, I talk about taking magnesium, omega-3s, zinc, and a baby aspirin. And that's really specific to prostaglandin activity um, and inflammation factors. So we use more magnesium and zinc in the building of the uterine lining. And 
um, we have a, a total inflammation response. So if you're countering that by taking magnesium and zinc and omega-3s, then you don't have the severe cramping and bloating and um, a lot of the, the debilitating cramps that women have. And then the addition of the baby aspirin is it's specific to some of the prostaglandin E2 and, and um, COX receptors, which will downgrade inflammation and make things less severe. So the really severe cramping, bleeding, bloating all comes from an inflammation response. So when you're taking the magnesium, zinc, omega-3s, and baby aspirin, it just downgrades that inflammation. So over the course of three cycles, it becomes a, a moot point. The symptomology and, and aspects of PMS just kind of dissipate. So then you wouldn't have to be, if you were a female that had a race that was coming up, you, didn't, you don't have to be fearful of that day and how you're going to perform. You can mitigate it and, and address it beforehand by just doing some of these simple steps. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And then when you're looking at like a lot of women are inadvertently, I get so many emails before major Ironman races um, that a woman's period is going to come on race day or the day after race day. So they feel like they're going to be racing in the worst possible state. So we put in the whole magnesium zinc aspect. We do some preload and we make sure that, um, they're having a lot of protein along the way too, because all of that helps counter these hormonal effects in the body. So then they go out and they race as if they were four days post period instead of a few days before. So again, it's being aware and then putting these things into play to counter those hormone responses in the body. Yeah. And can women still perform amazing on their period? Like, can it? Oh, yeah. So it's not it's, like, hey, because it's going to land on this day, I have to be worrisome. Even if I take these steps and do these things, they may be somebody who actually could perform at their very best on yeah. a day like that. Yeah. So, I mean, you hear a lot of things of, uh, I can't race or my period's coming. I'm so worried. That's actually one of the best days to perform because your hormones have dropped. And now all of a sudden, your core temperature is down. You have more water available for sweat. You can access carbohydrate. You recover better. You have more mojo. The main factor that comes into play is, is cramping and heavy bleeding. So if you're mitigating that with you know the steps before and maybe having to take some ibuprofen or something on the day, then the limiting factor becomes the lack of sanitary products on race course which becomes a whole nother conversation oh, that women in sport are having. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think a, a big portion of that is like, yeah, women and men, they have physiology going into a race, but so much of their performance can be just in their mindset too. If they're going yeah. into a race being, Hey, I'm worried about it's my period or I'm worried about my performance or whatever, they're probably not going to have a good performance. But if you look at going, I've done everything I can, I can perform on this day, no matter what. And like, like we said, like a lot of times it could be the best day they've ever had in performance. Um, yeah, you just never know. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's education and awareness instead of leaving it to the X factor, like nutrition's left to the X factor. Periods are left to the X factor. Don't make it an X factor. Be aware, put in steps into play and, and you'll be able to encounter anything and perform your best. Yeah, totally. What would you, um, if you were to run into your younger self, um, what would you want to teach that person or teach yourself back then? 
Oh, gosh. If I knew everything I know now when I was racing, it would be unbelievable. So I'd probably tell myself, hey, take this course that this Dr. Stacey Sims person created. Listen and pay attention. Um, yeah. And But then the other aspect is telling my younger self not to give up because there was so much pushback in my entire career and I still get it of we don't know enough about men why are you studying women oh that's not sound design just so much pushback and I didn't give up so I tell myself back then not to give up just to keep saying it over and over because there is a difference and you're going to be able to help people male and female when you start really breaking outside of that lens so yeah so what is what is your ultimate goal now going forward and kind of the work that you're doing? Like, what do you want to see change or what do you want to have an impact in? Um, I mean, it's across the board, really. Let's, the education and awareness um, for women that are trying to reach their performance potential, whatever that might be. They might be women who have a, a, a six-week-old kid and they want to get back into feeling like themselves, but there's no guidelines really about how to to navigate those postpartum waters, right? So I've done a little bit, but not a lot. Um, and giving women the tool to get rid of that negative chatter in their head, to understand that physiology is there, there's sex differences, and how to work with it so that they're not always in this, oh, I'm not good enough, or I didn't do the training right, or um, I need to eat less to lose this weight. Uh, so just giving them the powers to, to be able to make sound choices. And what, what would you define as being successful now? Because when you were doing performance, right? It's, I mean, for yeah. me, when I was racing, performance success was a result. How do you define your right. success now and what do you see? Um, well, since I have a, a seven-year-old daughter, I don't want her to go through a lot of the things that so many people in my generation went through. Like, I want there to be more equality in sport, understanding, like, at the onset of puberty, there are different training practices that should be put into play so girls don't drop out of sport. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a little bit more on the policy side of things, but with the education behind it so that it can be pushed through for the greater good, not because of a particular political game. And then along those same lines, because you've been around so many amazing athletes, you've worked with as far as very successful athletes and you've seen a lot come and go, what would you say the three, three characteristics that you would see that are universal across those successful people? Like what are the key characteristics that you'd see? Um, most of them listen to their bodies and understand when they need to take a break and not get up super early and push through training just for training's sake to mark something off. Um, and they have conversations about themselves and their health. Um, because we know that a healthy athlete is one that keeps performing. And every time you're out with illness or injury, it's that time of detraining that a lot of elite athletes don't want. So most of them are very humble and open to conversation and understanding mm -hmm. and learning. Instead of being told what to do, they ask questions. Mm -hmm. And those are, it's not really three, but those are the biggest things I've seen. Like when we were working together, you were always asking questions like, why is this? Why is this? Why is this? Why is this? I'm like, this is someone who's going to go far because he's not just, you know, someone in a wheel being told what to do. He really wants to know what's going on with his body and how to help himself. And that tends to be the course. Um, and then women who eat more instead of listening to coaches and, and propaganda that tell them they need to weigh a certain amount 
And they actually like, no, that doesn't help my performance. So again, it's listening to their bodies and doing what's right for them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And um, one of the things that I know that you're doing right now is you're about to start a course. And by the time this podcast comes out, uh, hopefully there's an additional one that's going to be coming out. So tell us a little bit about the course and um, what someone will receive out of that. Cause I think it's super valuable. Yeah. So uh, it's called the women are not small men and it's seven weeks of intensive. I think we had 72 to 75 chapters of 20 minutes wow. where it goes through everything. It goes through like the history of women in sports, the guidelines like protein intake and carbohydrate intake. And there's no data to support women in that, what you should do, what all the hormones are, what they do to you, what an OCP is, what an IUD is, perimenopause, postmenopause, training, nutrition to match that. We have some coaches that come in um, and give their perspective, kind of like you did earlier, um, just because I feel like there are a lot of coaches out there that aren't evolving. So when a mass amount of people understand that coaches do evolve, then it gets them thinking and coaches themselves start asking the questions. Um, yeah, so this will be... I think the fourth time we've run it and we get so much good feedback. So, um, yeah, we'll see. And we have another one for menopause coming out in May, but you heard it here first. <laughs> right on. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really good. I mean, one of the things that, uh, I had a, I had a talk as far as this morning and one of the things we talked about, which you also just said was the importance of being humble and listening and asking questions. And mm -hmm. back when, when I worked with you on that day and when I was racing at the top of my game, there was not a ton of information. You had to really seek it out. You had to ask the information. You had to find something. And when you found it, you would learn everything you could from it. And then you'd find the next and you would adapt and find what worked for you. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we're inundated with information, almost too much information of do this, do that, do this diet. You should do, you know, there's so I much, know. right? I know. So it's hard to kind of shift through it, but the thing always comes down to, which I really believe it's listen to those that are experts and those have been successful before those have put in the, the effort you've, you have been doing this for 20 years, eight years in the mainly women focus. So you are the leader in women's knowledge in sports performance as well as just health. So it's like, why wouldn't you learn from you right so yeah. they can go to your book roar which is amazing um as well as your uh course that you're doing where can they find your book uh where as far as can they find out about your courses how would they get in touch with you um so social media is the biggest thing really um so drstacysims.com is a landing page but then i'm on instagram and facebook um, and so that keeps track of everything that I'm doing and we post little tidbits every day to help women understand things like, um, you know, recovery time all the way through adaptogens and stuff and information about the courses on there. And then if it's from an academic sto scope following research, that's more Twitter oriented or on my university page, which is university of Waikato staff page, because I update all my projects and my PhD students and things on that. Perfect. Well, I will have all those links and stuff like that on the show notes as well. So those of you who want to can go to the show notes and get all the links and detail information where you can find Stacy and the new things that she's doing and everything. So I uh, want to thank you, Stacy, for the time. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Really appreciate it. Uh, we got 
maybe this much of knowledge, but hopefully some really good things. I think we got some great information out and pieces that people can take action right now and right away. So I would encourage those that are listening to right now, write down three things that you learned and take those three things and take action on those in the next day. Just say, okay, what can I do to move forward? Is that going to the grocery store and getting the right foods? Is it going and and following a plan? Is it going and ordering the book Roar? Whatever it is that's going to keep that momentum moving, that's where I want to encourage those to to take action right away. And so I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge. Um, I also want to just acknowledge you and just say thank you for for taking the, the, the time to learn everything that you're learning and again, sharing it and really empowering women to say, I don't have to just follow the, the path that is set before me, but saying, Hey, I want to set a new path. That's going to increase my performance, increase my life and increase my health and my energy. Because as you know, when your energy is good, your health is good, you feel better about yourself, then your relationships are better then everything is better. And yeah, it's got to start somewhere. So thank you very much for pointing these things out. And again, I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. And thanks for having me on because without someone else to like spread the word, it would just stay in my head. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you learned something new from it. And I encourage you to write down two or three things that you learned today. Uh, Two or three things you can take action in the next 24 hours to move yourself closer to improving your performance, improving your life and living your life to the fullest. Sometimes taking the smallest change or the smallest action can make the biggest difference in a period of time of a week or a month. And so I encourage you to take that small step. Um, Go check out Stacey Sims' website, go check out her courses, go to the show notes and look at the links to our sponsors and our discount codes that you guys will get and take some action right away in the next 24 hours and see what change it can make in moving yourself forward to living your life to the fullest. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and share it. Share it on your social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you use. And make sure you tag at Dr. Stacy Sims and also tag at Chris Lieto and share this show and share the information that you got. So thank you again for listening. Look forward to having you come to the next episode and go ahead and subscribe to the Chris Lieto podcast. That way you'll get notified when new episodes and new guests jump on. And thank you again. I appreciate your time to listen and learn from our guests. So thank you. Aloha.